What if there were a bigger story than disability? You're listening to more conversations at the center of the movement to build connection and belonging in an age of isolation. David Chu is the author of Untethered, a 20-minute introduction to the causes and consequences of social isolation. You can read more about him and find a link to Untethered in the show notes. But what I want to talk about in this intro is just that the podcast is really centered around this theme that David talks about in Untethered of social isolation and the universal drive that we have for human connection. So we're going to dig into ideas around who is leading the effort to become a more tethered society, the greater impact that comes from doing things one-on-one, And then how might we begin to reach for a future of belonging in small practical ways? So joining David at the table are some of Starfire's biggest heroes in understanding how to support people with disabilities and what it takes to go after purpose and belonging alongside others as a better way to do this work. You're going to hear a total of five voices, including my own, around the table. And as we go, I'll introduce you so you can kind of hear and keep up with uh, who is who. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get into the conversation. You'll hear from David first. Why, why do you think people avoid the topic of social isolation? I think talking about social isolation forces you to deal with the the reality that they're all human problems Mm -hmm. and human problems. The human dimensions are sometimes the most painful to confront. I think it's because it's so complex. Mm -hmm. People want a simple and it is so multifaceted and complex that there are no easy answers. So that's Linda Kahn. You'll hear from Jack Pierpoint next. Jack and Linda joined us from the Inclusion Network out of Canada, and they've been longtime advocates, inventors, presenters, movers and shakers in the work of inclusion. We have been trained to look for the 15-second quick fix, mm-hmm. and that's not going to work. It's not. That's not this, the nature of this issue. This is a human-scale problem of global proportions, which, of course, then shuts us down yeah. Yeah. until you sort of cut right back to, no, actually, it's just the two of us, and we can start right here, right now, and it doesn't matter where you start. Yeah. A lot of people in my world like to rush to policy or what can we do to raise awareness as if awareness alone is something that changes things Mm -hmm. and so like i think talking about social isolation at least for me clarifies that like solutions lie in humans coming together and translating whatever we come up with into action and that sounds vague but thinking about the ways in which people people are isolated can help access, I think, why at root some of these these issues like opioids or suicide or recidivism are are such hard, but I think solvable issues. Mm -hmm. So it, it offers a sense of clarity on a multitude of very complicated, sometimes personal issues, but it, mm-hmm. it kind of pinpoints something. Yeah. And for me, I mean, I the, the people who have made a big impact on me, they sort of see like everyone is part of the solution. And I think that a lot of the time we define problems in ways that make it seem like there are special people in society who 
can be a part of the solution. And I just, I want to fight against that. Like, this is why, like, with social isolation, which is in many respects, a, a can, can be a health issue. I've seen in America us increasingly medicalizing it. And I want to go in a slightly different direction because I think we need more leaders, not like fewer, more specialized leaders. Okay. And that gets to your point of like policy and awareness and that's the thing, right? But what you're saying is it's really more about the people who are the most marginalized and vulnerable and isolated are the change makers, actually. Mm -hmm. They have the answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, they're... the real real change makers, a lot of the people that I work with through LA Kitchen are people who are off the streets, have recovered from addiction, are home from 20 or 25 years of incarceration. Mm-hmm. And it's not a profound mystery to, to think like why these people have a super well-developed sense of the power and value of human connection because mm-hmm. they've lacked it or they have against their, their sort of choice um, been isolated from community. Yeah. And I wonder if we can segue into conversation around people being wasted, that people are being wasted. Yeah. We have developed a society that throws people away and doesn't even notice. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that doesn't sound very good. We we don't think of ourselves as people that do that, but we're doing it, and struggling to come to terms with that. So it is is a fascinating challenge that we're all working on, and the way you have to come to terms with that is in a conversation with somebody who has been exploded, <laughs> and that's anybody anywhere, and. And the leadership for this change is not going to come from systems. And, uh, if, if we figure this out, and I think we can, leadership's going to come from the margins. It's going to be all the people we have systemically excluded when we slow down enough to listen to them. And one of the, I think one of the most exciting capacities that whether it's sex offenders or people who've been through residential schools and other institutions or people with disabilities, if we make a space where it's safe and we slow down enough to listen, they teach us to slow down and listen. And boy, do we need that right now. So there's actually enormous unrealized capacity to resolve some of the most fundamental issues in our society by slowing down to listen. And it's available to any and all of us next door, around the corner, over coffee. So now you're going to hear from Joe Crippenstaple, who is also around the table for this podcast. Joe is one of our mentors at Starfire. She has inspired many of the changes that we have made in the last 10 years. I do want to apologize for the quality of audio that you're about to hear from Joe, but she has a lot of great things to say, so listen up. 
one of the other ways that I think this connects, or at least it connects for me, is how universal this experience is of being untethered. It's not just they are untethered, we are all untethered. And for us as a society of people to make space to have those conversations about the gifts of people who have been previously devalued, if I am only tethered to people who are exactly like me, then I don't have any way of making a stretch to people who have been you know, homeless or imprisoned or come from another country. This is where this starts to come together. So that's a really interesting point on another way to think about who are your people and where are you spending your time, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Because it's another way of noticing who's missing. You know, who are you not connected to? Where are the people of difference? Who else do you know? How are you spending your time? When you kind of think about who are your people, if you're not tethered to. Yeah, and I'd like to bring it into more of a definition around tethered that you offered in, in, in the primer. You talk about, you know, connection as a mixture of strong and weak ties. And I loved how you held up weaker ties as actually the most important. And why I loved that illustration so much is that what we see in people with disabilities lives who who we talk to is that their weak ties are often minimal, if not null. Um, And that while they might have family, they they may have moderately strong ties. A lot of times those moderately strong ties are staff, people that are paid to be in their life, or they're other people with disabilities. So that, that's the picture of isolation. It's it's the picture of segregation as well. So, you know, the the weaker ties, why why are they valuable? Why are you saying that they're indispensable? Yeah. I I honestly can't remember where I learned the language of like not being able to access worlds beyond your own. But I like it because it's often the weak ties that help us travel more, further, and in very practical ways. You know, you think about searching for a job, searching for romance, um, searching for belonging. And our families, our, our closest friends are important, but they often only take us so far. If, if you think about like highly networked, highly powerful, highly influential people, they're people who have amassed extensive networks of weak ties that they activate when they need to. And it's everyone needs that network of weak ties. But I think there's another part of it that is a little bit more hedonistic, sort of pleasure centric, which is just that Uh, and this is other people's research, like at the end of life, a lot lot of the time, like when we think back on our lives, there are small moments of intimacy that we experience with people who we may have met once, maybe on our travels, maybe who knows where, but who help us to feel human in a way that can last a lifetime. And I think that's that's extraordinary. And it's a thing that happens through weak ties often. Um, so, so there's this saying in sociology, 
it, the strength of weak ties. Like weak ties have um, outsized strength in, in human communities. What I love about this notion of weak ties is that, at least to me, it makes the whole effort more approachable. If you say, gee, I notice you're a little weak in the most intimate friends category, why don't you get three next year? I kind of get the reason, right? But if you say, how about a dozen weak ties over the next couple of months, I can start to feel some energy about that. It feels very doable, feels a little interesting. It really kind of feels different to me. Because it's then about the power of showing up, of starting yes. to discover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at your yeah. neighborhood and your community and what do you care about and where are you hanging out and starting to discover what people's interests are and just places to show up and hang out, whether it's coming a regular at a coffee shop or something that you join because it's an interest thing that you have where there's weak ties. And that makes it very, very doable because anybody can do it. It's yeah. not that difficult. So one of the... Hmm. The terrors, you know, the the in the dark of the night issues around what's happened with the work of many people. It's been industrialized by many people. Not here, not at Starfire, but but the pressure to okay, we need we need numbers, we need them now, we need them reportable with stats, and we've commodified. The very thing that we were trying to do, or not we have, it has been done with well-intentioned people trying to figure, but the pressure to do it, do it faster, do it more, for less, those kinds of pressures are enormous, and the pressure to not do that mm -hmm. is enormous. I mean, I, I still think, like, I still care a lot about doing at a bigger scale, oh, yeah. faster, improving it. I just yeah. think that we can do that one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's an exponential but it require, growth. It just requires that everybody be a part of it. There are there are lots of ways to do that, and like mass storytelling is, is one of them. Yeah. Um, what I think is more critical than sort of the scale at which we recruit or whatever is, is kind of a desire and a belief and bringing people in and and showing them how how useful whatever they bring is. Go ahead. Well, I I think one of the things that's really exciting about the way David think about this is just people stepping into some action and responsibility about it. Is thinking about so what what can I do about this? What's my contribution to the very problem? we have, I think that's pretty interesting because you need the contributions and the solutions of everyone, including the people most impacted. And so I think trying to make this everyone's issue is really interesting. What I want to pull out a little bit more is, is this idea that who is who are the leaders of this movement? That yes, it requires all of us, and yes, it requires um, the marginalized and it requires those who aren't typical leaders but it does require it does require leaders at the top also right and and that's part of your work david right is to to talk to business leaders and to talk to philanthropists yeah i mean i i definitely have an interest in engaging 
resourced people. Um, but it's mainly out of an interest to help them see, like, understand what types of leaders they should be supporting, mm-hmm. right? Rather than like thinking that, like, oh, me as a philanthropist, and I'm the answer to society. Mm-hmm. It's much more like as you sort of scan the landscape, which a good philanthropist is like doing all the time. Uh, you you can recognize, like, Starfire. You can recognize the kind of work they're doing. And when you make the kind of transition Starfire is making, which is incredibly courageous and wonderful, you lose some of your traditional yes, yes, backing. Yeah. So, and I think that was—I think that's kind of what I was going to—is is this idea that like there are a lot of executive directors in place right now who have been in that role for however many years. Right. They're not going to change their model or shift their financial structure to do something risky, to change their model, to be more impactful, and to give leadership to families like we've learned how to do at Starfire. To give leadership to people with disabilities, to do projects, cool projects in their neighborhood. The executive directors that we know a lot of times say excuses more that have to do with um, putting the onus back on people with disabilities to say, it's their choice to be with each other. It's yeah. it's their you know they deserve yeah. this um, yeah. day program or workshop because what else are they going to do? Um, you know, and we've surveyed them and they've said they like it. Yes, the data shows <laughs> well, that they're actually, all happy. That's so. a really interesting point. Is like there's a lot of lying <laughs> in the world of impact. Yes, and right. in nonprofits, right. um, and and having. I mean, I, I, I try to study like big nonprofits like that are doing the kind of work that we all care about, but seem to be doing it out of a huge scale. Um, for example, there are nonprofits I will not name that like in LA that like serve huge numbers of people who are coming out of prison and huge numbers of seniors and things like this. and. On the, you know, their annual reports look amazing, right? Um, and then, like, the more you sort of learn and talk to people and dig, you know, there's some muckraking that is appropriate, I think, in this world. Like, impact, there are a lot of lies that are, that are told about large-scale impact. There's just so many dysfunctions in our mass, like, mass-style interventions whether it's for hunger or for aging or for mental health services or any of these kinds of things where well-intentioned folks we end up creating solutions that still waste just only on mass and for me it's just like slowly seeing this and connecting the dots and i think people who have worked over the years and decades in, in disabilities probably have some of the most powerful ways to help people understand this and i so i think i think there's um people who work one-on-one also like we shouldn't be like unfairly or inappropriately modest about or like we you know we can say that oh it's messy it's maybe not like not so tangible the impact but i think like when you consider the amount of lying that takes place, um, we should we should stand firm about like 
tangible, proven impact at the scale that we're doing. We should also understand and be able to tell the story of how one one to one work does have this amplifying power. And I think that like, I'm still in the process of like figuring out how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm glad to hear the struggle is alive and well. (laughs) 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 And that there are still no answers yet, but we're doing the right work. And that's what's important. One of the things you say in Untethered is that we are reaching for the future of belonging. We're reaching for that. So, you know, you talk about how old ways of belonging need to be remade. Let's talk about what's emerging and how people can, like like somebody said here, show up. All we have to do is start showing up. What are those pattern ways of, of living together that, that need to be encouraged? I, I think the local movement is very hopeful and when people experience it, it feels fun. You get such an immediate sense of um, something's really different about this than my usual pattern. So there are so many examples of local, local food, local beer, local everything, right? When we lean into that, I think we will start to tell ourselves to people who aren't quite exactly like ourselves. Lean into local. I like it. Mm. I mean, for me, like, reaching for the future of belonging is just all about reaching. Um, I love this this um, T.S. Eliot line, which is, for us, there is only the trying. There, the rest is not our business. The more people understand their lives and part of their purpose as reaching for belonging for themselves, for their communities, there will be all sorts of innovations. It feels weird to like name certain things because they're so infinite, right? Like they come to life in so many different ways, which is why it's beautiful. It's it's about this overall pattern and it's about this sense of chaos that we're trying to create and the best kind of chaos where people are just trying things. It does seem to have to do with the courage to engage, I mean, it involves some introspection, and then there does need to be what's my local action going to be, including noticing when the future we're leaning into is here. There will be moments where you people experience belonging, and we'd better notice those too. It's not out of our reach, it's living now as well and being able to share those stories and notice the experiences and understand how did it happen it always takes courage to do that so i often thinking about stretch and courage and being honest to notice when i haven't done it if we just make a space to and it's it is scary i agree you know you mean new, I got to meet new people? Yeah. <laughs> but it's not that difficult if you go for loose connections. If we make the assignment by tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., you have to have a best friend for life. Uh, we're not going to do very well. <laughs> but there are an infinite number of loose connections. We, we don't even have a clue how many there are out there. So it is beyond our 
limited human capacity to even imagine. So anything goes if we make the space. And my, I think my metaphor for us, we need to get our fingers in the dirt. And the dirt is universal. And you just don't know what the wonderment will be yet. And next time, it'll be a different array of goodies. Uh, but they're always goodies. And Joe, when you've said before, this is this is finding new ways to spend time together. And it's deciding to spend time together. And then it's finding new ways on how to spend your time. Just love that simplicity there. It's powerful. Jack, Linda, David, Joe, thank you so much for spending this time together. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to learn more about Starfire, head over to our website, starfirecincy.org, and you can go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Thanks so much for listening.